Temenos is the world's leader in banking software, helping over 3,000 banks serve over 1.2 billion people. Our purpose is to make banking better. Together with our community, we make banks more successful, individuals better banked, and society better served. With our software, banks can create more human, differentiated digital experiences, hyper-efficient business models to benefit the bank and their customers, and simplify and transform their back office. Our clients are the highest performing banks with cost income ratios, which are twice better than the industry average. Learn more at temenos.com. Season two of the FinTech Marketing Podcast has landed. Join me, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer here at 11FS, as I talk directly to some of the most influential CMOs in the world of fintech and financial services. I'm going to be asking them how they build brands, how they drive growth with modern day marketing. This season, I also have a new co-host, Mariette Ferreira, our marketing director here at 11FS. She will be talking to the people getting down and dirty on the marketing front lines with roundtable chats from some of the best in the business. Subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out. That's FinTech Marketing Podcast by 11FS. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer and in today's episode, we're going to be revisiting the mortgages space. Since we spoke to this subject matter about two years ago, a lot has happened in the world. Uh, One or two things, global pandemics, all sorts of stuff that's happened. Uh, But also the government has announced a stamp duty holiday during lockdown. The property market has boomed despite a bit of a shaky landscape from a financial services perspective. Um, But really, how has the mortgage landscape evolved? Has significant changes happened uh, or not, really, uh, in in many different spaces? I've just bought a house, so I feel like I've been doing primary research for this one over the last uh, last couple of months. So uh, I'll be the, the guinea pig in this one. Uh, to dig into this subject matter, I'm joined by some super-duper guests, as always, uh, both working very hard in this space to, to move the industry forward. Making a welcome return to Fintech Insider, we have Francesca Carlesti, who is a co-founder and CEO over at Molo Finance. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Hi, David. It's great to be here. I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. So let me tell you a little bit about Molo Finance, right? So what we do, so Molo is a digital mortgage lender. So we believe that mortgages today can be and should be actually easy, fast and accessible to everybody. So what we've done a couple of years ago, we decided to build um, a full stack lender, leveraging technology and data to just make it happen and make it all possible. So um, I think the, the, the probably distinctive factor is that we decided to kind of cut across all the silos in the value chain to to give people a one-touch, uh, one-click, ideally, experience, eventually. Very good. I mean, my experience with one of the big incumbents, it was not one-click, and it was definitely not painless. So, uh, so yeah, very welcomed uh, uh, entrance into the market, and lovely to have you back on Fintech Insider as well. And joining her as well, uh, and coming back, is it your Fintech no, Insider debut, first time. Richard? First time. First time. Wow. I mean, we'll, we will be gentle. I mean, Francesca can sort of testify for this one. We're very gentle on the first guest, so, which is good. Uh, but Richard Hayes, uh, co-founder and CEO over at Mojo Mortgages. How are you doing? Uh, lovely to have you on. Very good. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's, uh, it's exciting to be on. I've listened to lots and lots, but um, some of the team have been on, but not me. I've been a little bit jealous, been left out. So uh, excited to be here and uh, talking about something I'm so passionate about. I mean, it's your time to shine. It absolutely is. Um, tell us a little bit more about Mojo Mortgages then. Yeah, so Mojo is an online mortgage broker. Um, what does that mean? Um, 
we've got a digital first approach to how we connect customers to lenders effectively. And, and that's what we're, we're kind of acutely focused on. We haven't moved to the lending sphere, don't plan to move to the lending sphere. So very focused on the UK mortgage intermediary market and very focused on instilling confidence in customers. I think that's the big gap for me. There's a lack of confidence. There's a lack of uh, transparency when it comes to finding and applying for a mortgage. And Mojo is very, very focused on, on fixing that, uh, regardless of where you are in the buying cycle. Very good. Well, we've got two experts and one person who's been painfully through the process. So I feel like we're, we're capable to have a debate about this subject matter, which is great. Um, but I guess if we sort of roll back to where we were a couple of years ago, I mean, we, we did a, a, a podcast uh, in 2019. And actually, some of the, the views that sort of came out then were, were pretty shocking. You know, we uh, highlighted at the time, Habito had just done a, uh, a YouGov survey or, or used YouGov as part of the survey. Uh, and, and actually, it found that two thirds of people who went through the application process felt stressed out by it. I'm just surprised it was only two thirds, quite frankly, at that stage. Uh, most of these people lost sleep over the process, an average of seven hours each. Uh, half of the couples rowed about the process and one in 10 couples stopped having sex about it. Just when questionnaires you didn't think could be more personal at that stage. Uh, I'm not going to confirm or deny whether that, that is true in the <laughs> Brewer household or not. Uh, I feel that we go in slightly too far. Um, uh, and one in 10 actually had to seek GP's help because of the impact that it had on their mental health. And last of all, as I, as I said, I've just been through this process and it's, it is pretty painful. Like I can definitely relate to a lot of those those points because it's such a, a a dark, confusing process of doom and, and difficulty. Um, my personal experience, and I'll just go into this uh, for a second, um, I was with a big incumbent provider. I've been with them for four or five years. I rang up to be able to understand what my options were to, to move uh, when I was moving home uh, to find out that I had a 90-minute waiting list. Uh, a waiting time to actually then talk to somebody about the problem. And when I finally got through to them, it turned out to be about two hours. And then at that stage, uh, I had another waiting list to go to another person that they would then call me. And it was just excruciating, absolutely excruciating. All the while, uh, the person talking to me sounded like a robot. They were definitely just reading from scripts. Uh, I won't say what bank it was, but it was not good. And it was a big red one. But um, so my experience in this, not a lot has changed in the incumbents, but from your perspective, Francesca and, and, and Richard, and obviously when we spoke to uh, Dan Hegarty previously on the, the last podcast, who's the, the founder and the CEO over at Habito, quite a lot has, has changed since then. So, I mean, Richard, Francesca will come to you, uh, but Dan and sadly wasn't able to join us on, on this podcast, but he did send us a little voicemail. So let's listen to that now. So, well, I mean, over the last two years, we have seen some development in the mortgage space. Um, but the problems remain as they always have. Uh, the mortgage industry is extraordinarily complex. It's extraordinarily important to people. It consists of over 100 lenders, over 25,000 mortgage products. Um, but with really very little consumer choice, as more than 90% of the deals in the market are either two-year fixes or five-year fixes. And then if you add to that the complexity of the, the number of people involved in a home purchase and the all of the kind of dependencies and contingencies that occur within chains and so on, you end up with a, a pretty a pretty complex uh, and challenging mountain to climb. So as I look at it, sort of trying to think about how to build a, a sort of an automation layer or an orchestration layer, if you like, across all of these complex legacy systems, it's probably the most interesting problem to solve. And it's you know, what I and Habito have spent much of the last couple of years building. 
Um, and that has evolved. So last year, we launched the Havto Plus service. So instead of just arranging mortgage financing, we now also deal with all of the conveyancing and the legal work um, and act as the, uh, if you like, the project manager of the entire transaction. And we also launched our first residential mortgage back in March, um, which again allows us to control the complete end-to-end experience for the customer. And we think create something quite unique in the market. Um, Habito One is the only mortgage in the UK where you can fix your mortgage uh, for between 10 and up to 40 years. Um, and the key thing is that that's with absolutely no exit fees. So you're no longer being asked to trade off between the security of knowing how much your mortgage is going to cost you and the flexibility of being able to leave at any point should your circumstances change. Um, I think more broadly outside of Habito, you know, the mortgage market has developed and, and particularly since the start of the pandemic. Um, obviously, practically overnight, all you know, all branch stuff had to become remote. Um, and this shift to online support will stay, particularly given that, um, from what I understand, over 500 UK branches uh, have either closed or are earmarked for closure over the next year. So yeah, so I think a lot of change uh, in the last couple of years, particularly at Habito, um, but as ever, a huge amount left to do. Very good. Uh, I, re- I really think Dan Hegarty's sort of like the... Um uh, the narrator for somebody's life. Uh, I mean, he's the, he's the Morgan Freeman of the fintech space, isn't he? Quite frankly. So, uh, uh, but yeah. what, what do you guys think there, Richard, Francesca? Do you do you think the industry sort of is at the same place as it was a couple of years ago when we we looked at this, or or do you think the world is is sort of evolving? And and I guess with with regards to the the sort of current condition that we're in, we're all still at home, aren't we? Uh, the pandemic is definitely kind of affecting it. So, Francesca, starting with you, what, what do you think? Are we still in the same place? So I think, no, I think a lot of this has happened and a lot is happening. If you also think about the pace of change, right, until probably a few years ago, probably you not host us here, uh, David, because there was nothing to talk about in terms of innovation mortgage for like 20 years in a row. And now a lot of things have happened the last three to five years where we are starting to have not only innovation in the, in, from a broker point of view, from a lending point of view, and from any other uh, point of view. So I think um, things have started to move. Um and I think not only that, but I do think that COVID has given a, a huge acceleration to the, to this trend. So if we think about this, I think for me, we will remember last year as the years when mortgages went digital. Now, you might say I'm a little bit biased, but that's fine. But that was the year where everybody realized there was no other choice. You had to lend without even seeing a property. And so and customers had to buy a property without even being able to go out. So that year is when everybody realized, well, there is a different way. You can go online and get a mortgage. So, And, and I think we will never forget that because I think the pace of change, the pace of digital adoption, even the mortgage um, space has, has really accelerated since last year. So there are things, if I give you a couple examples, right, um, even first touch point. So what people do today, the first thing they do, they go online to look for a mortgage and to think what and compare and contrast. They right now are looking for digital journeys. We hear about digital journeys, you know, talks about digital journeys in mortgages, even at the regulator. So even with the FCA. So effectively right now, that is the expectation, which was not the case. I can, you know, guarantee a few years ago. And then there are a lot of things happening in the property market that allowed us now to, to do you know, real-time decision and so on. So I think a lot has changed. In my view, we are just scratching the surface, but I think it's um, it's just going to happen. I just think, you know, getting a mortgage online in a matter of minutes is just happening now. And, you know, a lot of us, we want to be the one that make it happen in a way. Well, I mean, and it's one of those things, I mean, if you look at the, uh, in any spaces like this, I mean, you, you, 
uh, collectively are moving the industry forward. It's uh, similar to what we sort of saw with, you know, Monzo, Revolut and Starling coming out. It was more about competition and moving the industry forward than it was competition at that stage. But I mean, Richard, what do you think? Uh, do you think the do you think we're in a much better place now than we were two years ago, uh, albeit we're all at home still? Uh, kind of. I mean, I, I definitely agree uh, with Francesca's uh, sentiment that I think that there's a men- there's definitely been a mentality shift, right? I think that we're in a we're in a we're in a better place in terms of certainly incumbent lenders who obviously still have the vast majority of the market share right now um, are definitely talking far more proactively about connectivity, about instant decisioning or rate for risk or all the types of things, um, you know, improvements to affordability assessments um, and enhancements in and around IDV, use of open banking. All these things are now being talked about. And and I guess you've got to start somewhere. (laughs) Um, And um, just getting them to talk about getting kind of big incumbent lenders to talk about those things has has been a super, you know, been a huge challenge over, over the last few years. I mean, Mojo, um, launched in 2018. And, um, you know, we're a venture capital about business. We made all these claims to our investors that, you know, we were going to have lender connectivity and APIs and, um, we were going to be able to automate big parts of the process and speed up customer experience. And, and look, these things haven't yet happened. They genuinely haven't happened. We have literally just this year connected, um, with Santander and NatWest via a third party called Mortgage Engine. And um, we are in the process of integrating to uh, Halifax and Barclays uh, and a few others as well. So we are we're getting there slowly but surely. But we're still in a world where, um, you know, I can produce a a bank statement via open banking uh, for a NatWest customer and it won't be accepted by NatWest if NatWest are the mortgage lender. So to say that we're not making progress is, is an overstatement, but to say that we are still struggling a little bit to um to, to get to the kind of levels where, you know, other industries are at investments, um, pensions, um, you know, insurance, whether it be, you know, be, you know, direct to consumer insurance, car insurance, whatever it might be, look, we're still, we're still way behind. And, and I think the biggest significant change for me over the last two years is actually customer intent. So in terms of customers being willing to engage online, we've definitely seen that improve. Um, you know, in 2018, I think still 65% of all mortgages, 69% of all mortgages were still sold face to face. So, um, given that we've probably lost around 4,000 branches since then, um, and, um, you know, we've been forced online by, 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 as you said, the global pandemic, I think there's been a significant shift to, to digital and to online. Um, but I still think, I still think there's a long, long way to go. <laughs> Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, we've we've all seen the uh, the the sort of uh, the meme of uh, COVID being the accelerant for everybody's digital transformation program. But but when it comes to a, a the customer, then actually, look, we've been told not to leave our homes. Never mind, like move home. You know, so but actually, there are a lot of things that are are changing that dynamic and actually increasing the the incentives to to do that, some of those things. So I, you know, personally. The, the incentive with the stamp duty changes in the UK and, you know, incentivizing movement and, you know, getting the economy moving, coming out of uh, the, the the COVID crisis. Uh, I mean, those things have tempted enough people into that process and getting them going, haven't they? But albeit still being a kind of this hybrid, you know, digital online. But I guess when we're in a situation where, like you say, with 
you know, Halifax or NatWest or, uh, you know, Santander, whoever, when actually a lot of their workers are still working remotely, then actually it becomes a quite a disjointed, you know, my, again, sample size of me, uh, it becomes a really disjointed process because you're, you're dealing with people with bad, you know, audio and setup and going hold of people. And in a digital world, that's just not what you expect, is it? You know, you, you do expect your, uh, expectations to be managed and the process to be digital and, you know, to know where you are through that journey. Yeah, uh, and for me, I, yeah. Yeah, that's well, and, and I, <laughs> I think the, the bit that I, I'm quite good at financial services. Like I should say, I worked at a bank for six years. I'm all right at it. I'm not bad. But even for me, it's the confidence in the process that's missing. Like you sit there going, have I missed a form? Have I done a, this wrong? Do I need to? And it, uh, the impact, the, the, the weird thing about mortgages and we've done lots of research about it in the past around even people who have sold mortgages for a long period of time will want to be able to check in with somebody to make sure that they don't mess up the process because essentially like this is a really important thing you do it like i don't know three or four times in your life so the level of paranoia about getting it wrong is is significant you know i I sort of say there's this fear of missing out but the fear of fucking up is a lot more serious and actually (laughs) if if people mess up that process uh it could be really severe for them but um but maybe maybe if we that sort of transitions us a little bit to talk about um the different types of models because obviously you know in the market you know, you have uh, online uh, mortgage brokers versus independent uh, mortgage advisors. And actually, just somebody want to pick up and talk a little bit about the the different parts of how those uh, models work? Because obviously, you know, the mortgage industry is not just uh, people who have financial advisors to go and look after this process and, you know, give me the keys when I move in. Most people are dealing with this themselves and most people's understanding of the financial services industry or the mortgage process or the plethora of acronyms that we don't really understand um, is is hard. So, um, I mean, Francesca, do you want to start on that? Because, you know, online mortgage brokers, independent mortgage advisors, there's a there's a big difference between the, the way that those things are, uh, are being run and handled. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think that's quite important also to understand. So just to go beyond semantics here. So effectively, there are two main ways, right, today that by which people get a mortgage. Either they go to a broker who, who effectively has a huge benefit, which is effectively a broker can provide an advice on what is the right product for that person across all of market. So effectively, it's almost like saying you have all the products available to you and it would be somebody that is kind of, you know, very good at doing that, that will advise the right product for you. When you go to an independent advisor, it's that you're going to a lender, which is effectively means that you have access to that the products that that lender has. So, and that is a, a very different approach because still there will be advice. So it's here, effectively you've been advised what is the right thing for you, but in among the products that the lender has, or if it doesn't have the right product for you, it should send you to somewhere, somewhere else. So there are two different ways, right? Now, I, I think... Um, everybody probably has different preferences, but I do think we, there are a few, few things to consider. So going direct to a lender in a way, and by the way, Molo is a lender. So we took a decision to be a full stack end-to-end, fully digital lender for various reasons, which is effectively on the full value chain. So we cut across all the silos. We take the decision on the spot. We can take a, a decision in a minute. So there is a reason for that, right? Um, but in fact, if you go directly to a lender, in theory, you should have less hands off, which is potentially, right, true. You know exactly what you get. And then, but 
the downside is you have access to a limited amount of products for, for sure, right? If you go and talk to, an, to a broker, effective, you have access to hollow market products. Potentially think, and then again, then I'm sure Richard will kind of uh, step in here and say something wrong, but effectively, there are a little bit more hands-off, right? Because you're talking to a broker, you get the, the advice, but then effectively, the broker needs to talk to a bank. Now, the ideal world, what we all want, we want these worlds to be all integrated through APIs. <laughs> you click a button, go straight through the documents you give to the brokers, goes also to the bank, and it's done. Unfortunately, it still doesn't happen that way. So there are a lot of walls in between, right? But at the same time, it's true that if you go to a broker, you can get a very independent advice. So I, I think both ways work for me. So for me, what we are focused on is the customer. So every one of us is different. And so there are some people that are just would like to click a button, get a mortgage, which is kind of me. So I really like not to bother with that, not talk to anybody and get, get this done, right? Like, you know, what I think is a lot of people just want to buy a house, not a mortgage. Let's not remember that. Nobody wants to buy a mortgage, right, David? So you just want to buy your house. Somebody could do that. That would be fantastic. At the same time, we need to be aware that for a lot of people, it's super important to go through the process, understand the ins and outs, talk to somebody, sit down and so on, which is super fine. So I don't think we should focus on the process. I think we should focus on the customer experience. How do we give the best experience subject to the channel or the approach that the customer has, has taken. So, which I think is is what real customer centricity and it take is, right? And taking away all those activities are completely a little bit of a uh, waste of time, if you want. Right? But I think both, both ways, in my view, work. It's really personal. And just as a final anecdote, our very, 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 very first customer ever, um, which of course we're very happy about, so everybody knows the company, it is a person that effectively got a mortgage on Christmas Eve in the evening. And when we called him back, it was the first customer, we wanted to get some feedback. Effectively, he didn't really want to talk to anybody. He said, come on, guys, I liked it, that's it, move on. So, you know, you need to, so it was fantastic for us. Not everybody's like that, but but more and more, we we have we have digitally, you know, digitally native people. And so more and more, the demographics we split. And so you need to just cover for everything. What we say, for example, we like to think we are digital first, not digital only, because you can go both ways, I think. Yeah. Well, I think, I think uh, you know, uh, my point around confidence is that isn't, that isn't necessarily human. It's actually about managing expectations all the way through it. And actually, you know, outside of financial services, there are so many good examples of people managing people through a digital process with that. The other thing I'd say is that person sickens me, quite frankly. Christmas Eve, I'm still wrapping presents. I know. Like, like literally, I'll leave it all, I know. all to the last minute. <laughs> Some somebody else is taking care of their financial lives. Like, where? How do they find the time? Quite frankly, but uh, um, R- Richard, what do, what do you think? Are we? Um, is there a big difference between those things? I mean, obviously, when it comes to you know full market advice versus uh, individual organization advice, I mean, it depends on which organization you go to whether that's going to be a problem or not, really. But obviously, from a regulatory perspective, it, it matters in terms of uh, the you know we've got suitability, affordability, advice, and guidance. You know, like the the FCA are really keen on what those things are and how those things are treated differently. But um, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think look. We tend to find customers coming to us for various different reasons, not just to pick a mortgage. So I think first and foremost, they want to understand how much can I borrow? Um, then they want to understand, well, am I even eligible for a mortgage? Like, can I get one? And, you know, we, we heavily over-index as a, as a business to, to first-time buyers and usually early-stage first-time buyers. So customers who are thinking about getting mortgage-ready, we have this mortgage-ready term that we use a lot at Mojo. And um, 
And so our job in the first instance is to either create digital experiences or human interactions that kind of enable that, that tick those boxes. So have I now got the confidence to go even start looking for a house? And I think um, we're just doing, doing some work on it today, actually, for a presentation. And, and, and we talk about this idea of a mortgage broker almost has to win a customer twice. They have to win a customer at the first interaction where the customer is probably low intent. They have not got a clue what's going on. Um, they don't know how to get even get mortgage ready. Like, how do I save a deposit? How much deposit do I need? Um, and then you're going to have to win them again once they've been through that process of like speaking to an estate agent or viewing a house or whatever it might be. You've got to kind of win them all over again. And we always feel from a from a kind of a customer experience perspective um, that the most critical part of that relationship is that first interaction. We want to instill as much confidence as physically possible in the customer. We want to be able to say we want the customer effectively to say at the end of that interaction, it was Mojo that gave me the confidence to go on about buying a house. And I think that's what I see as being a, a very important part of what it is to be a digital broker, an online broker, because we've done a lot of that online. You know, we can run an eligibility check online. We can run through affordability online and we can kind of give you that in the comfort of your own home. You'd have to go see a face-to-face advisor. But what we've done is we've kind of then looped that in with human beings. So if, if you do have a very in, intrinsic question or something specific, well, if you want to contact somebody, you know, we're not going to stop that. I think one of the most critical things that we've been focused on, and I think, online mortgage brokers seem seem to get right or certainly are focused on getting right is this kind of idea of cohort specific experiences so who are you what stage are you at what do you need from us okay here's something for you and um you know you know you can go on to martin lewis or wherever and you can like search away and you can find great content right this there is great content but, you know, we speak to a lot of customers that go, look, I read that article. It made a lot of sense, but I still didn't know what to do next. Um, and sometimes they do, but they just want that human interaction. And, and David, you said it, you know, this is a could be a 200, 300,000 pound loan. I don't want to fuck up. Like, I want this to be right. And I'm scared. And please help me out. And I think, you know, it's it's Mojo's job to make you feel less scared. I think we're not quite there where we can say we're going to make it easy. I I don't think we can call that out just yet. Um, there is larger parts of the value chain that Mojo wants to own in the future where we can then start to say, okay, well, we've made that bit and that bit a bit easier. Um, but we we do make a commitment that we want to make, you know, provide you more visibility, you know, more access to information um, and to try and give you as much certainty in that, in that process as, as physically possible. But there's a fine balance. And I think that that's kind of where there's a significant difference between online and uh, online and independent. If we're both offering whole of market advice, the actual regulated advice bit um, is is probably reasonably consistent. I'd like to think we offer it slightly more succinctly and and, um, kind of more flexible in terms of kind of how and where and when. But yeah, I I think at the end of the day, we're looking to try and match customers with lenders and Mm. um, find them the right product for them. Um, The important thing, and I think the really important reason to use a broker mojo anybody else um as long as they're not charging a fee ideally because you you don't usually need to pay a fee is um it is you've got the whole of market access i think that's critical you know there are so many different products Twenty thousand pre-pandemic about twelve and a half thousand post-pandemic and that's a lot of deals to search through um and a lot of those deals ironically that a lot of customers in the uk don't uh, don't actually understand until we tell them rightly so why would they um is is a lot of those deals are exclusive to brokers so there's a lot of deals that you can only get via a broker halifax for example weren't selling two-year fixed rates to their existing customers but if you went to a broker you could get one and that was only last year so there's there's lots of nuances to this sector and 
you know, if you're using a broker, it's their job to kind of know all that crazy stuff that there's, there's no way in the world you shouldn't know all of, you know, as a, as a general consumer, you shouldn't know all that information. Yeah. I mean, you talk, talk there about sort of getting mortgage fit. And, and I think that's a, a really nice way of sort of saying it. I mean, because, I mean, I, like say, having, you know, been in this industry a while, I know a little bit more about it than, than the average person does. But most people just don't understand the context of what these things are or the process that you go through or, like you say, the run-up, the, the amount of, as you said, the, the amount of deposit that you'll need or, you know, uh, really, and, and the almost the the home buying process not just the the mortgage buying process but the home buying process almost uh alienates people at every step you know conveyances and solicitors and all these different things and where the mortgage sort of fits into that journey is so important you know and actually it's so interesting we i mean we've seen this in other industries to a certain degree the uh you know the biggest pain in the ass of any doctor is google because like you're guaranteed that person has Googled the problem before they've come to talk to you and they'll probably have self-diagnosed it and tell you what it is. And that really, I mean, anytime you talk to uh, the regulator, you know, particularly the FCA in the UK, they're really concerned about that. You know, whether people are buying mortgages that are suitable to them, you know, based on, you know, side of scraps of their their day job and figuring out what the what the best thing is for them. Um, you know, for something that underpins so much of the economy in terms of house buying and mortgages and processes and everything that spins off that. Well, well it's, it's the customer's biggest payment too. Don't forget, like it's their biggest outgoing. So yeah, it's this huge, it has this huge economic impact. But in terms of bringing it back down to a customer level, it's usually their biggest payment. I mean, the regulator did a kind of turnover on the um, uh, on the comparison space in twenty, I think it was twenty seventeen, and they looked heavily at mortgages and 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 came out you know off the back of that and came out and said, you know, if you're if you're buying a mortgage without advice, um, we found that people buying a mortgage without advice, potentially from a comparison website or somewhere else, were, were likely to be paying five hundred pounds more over that fixed rate period than someone that had gone and got advice for that deal. So you're, you're entirely right. You know, there's that. There's that real in-the-pocket impact um, from reading an article, thinking, all right, all good, I know what I'm doing now, and, and cracking on and jumping in feet first. Um, but, you know, if you can find free advice, which is critical, and I think there is plenty of businesses out there that offer it, um, it's a little bit like somebody knocking on your door and saying, do you want me to clean your car for free? And you're saying, no, no, it's all right, I'll, I'll do it myself later. You know, you're just not saying that. I definitely want your car getting cleaned. <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, that's what free mortgage brokers can offer because regardless of, um, um, you know, obviously we receive a commission in that process, but it doesn't impact uh, the rate that you, you pay as a consumer. So um, it, it's kind of a win-win. Well, on that note, if anybody'd like to clean my car for free, feel free to get in touch. Uh, <laughs> you know the emails. Uh, on that note, we are going to have to take a little bit of a break and we'll be back with you very shortly. With a global consumer panel of 15 million registered members, over 11 years of historic single source data and proprietary technology that connects data and simplifies the research process, YouGov is home to the largest collection of constant, entirely permissioned consumer opinion and rich behavioral intelligence in the world. To learn more, visit business.yougov.com. This episode is brought to you by Visa, the world's leader in digital payments. Visa's FinTech Fast Track program is the quickest and easiest way to connect to the Visa network and issue payment credentials. Whether you're an up-and-coming neobank, modernizing B2B payments, or launching a new crypto solution, amazing things can happen when your innovation is combined with the power of one of the world's largest payment networks. Learn more about the possibilities at partner.visa.com. 
All right, continuing this conversation, and seriously, get in touch if you'd like to clean my car, honestly. It's it's something I really struggle doing, and there's not a good one in Norwich, so just get in touch, really. Um, But if we continue the conversation, like we talked a little bit about the pandemic and the impact that 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 has has had, you know, not just in terms of the the sort of... um, uh, constriction of the market in terms of people not you know not being able to leave their house, so the market really really slowing down. But that sort of pent up nature of it, we've seen an explosion now in changes. You know, actually uh, with incentives like stamp duty uh, holidays and the the things that have come through that. You know, I've definitely seen if any anybody you talk to all the way through the value chain on home buying, whether it's estate agents or conveyances or. A, uh, indemnity, indemnity insurance uh, salespeople, like all the way through the process, it seems to be sort of booming. Um, so, I mean, has the the pandemic? Do you think accelerated the changes that we will see? And have you both seen a, a real uptick in terms of the the market coming alive? Maybe starting with you, Francesca. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the answer is yes and yes to your question. So one is, as the pandemic accelerated, right? Absolutely, yes. So I think the dynamics in the property market and in the mortgage market was was quite interesting last year because we had a, a tale of two cities, really. So on one side, we had the first six months where the property market was put on hold, mortgage holidays, property market freeze, where the whole mortgage industry was kind of on hold. For six months, for, for three to six months, the number of products in the market completely almost, not, not even halved, I mean, reduced by a quarter. It's crazy, people pulling out products. So, uh, and that was a dark moment. <laughs> that was the dark side, I think, of the pandemic. What happened in that time, though, not only lender, but also customers gradually got their heck together and understood, okay, fine, but we still need to remortgage, for example. We still need to kind of go on with our lives. So as soon as the property market freeze stopped, we've seen a complete swing in the opposite direction. So, and two things happened. So on one side, there was pent-up demand. Like, we should not forget, the mortgage market in UK is mostly is heavily driven by remos. So if you need to remortgage at the end, you need to do it. Otherwise, you end up paying a crazy rate. So a lot of people that couldn't remortgage in those months went on back to the market and, and kind of there was a huge increase in demand. But then the second factor was exactly what you mentioned. So what has happened is post, since June, July last year, um, because of the stamp duty holiday, because of all this kind of pent-up demand, we had a huge acceleration of purchases. So a lot of people went off and bought a house, probably also you, right, David? So, and it was a massive moment. That was the moment when it was appropriate to do it. So, and I think we reached peaks in terms of total volumes, monthly volumes um, in the market, by the way. There are probably record level peaks in the last 10 years mm. between, you know, for like three to five to even six months. So we have seen that as well. So it's been a huge acceleration of demand and a huge acceleration of home buying, so purchases rather than remo. So um, so definitely it's been quite a roller coaster, I must say. The, you know, after the dark phase, now things have really been accelerating. There's been a little bit of, the moment we are now is that given that um, the stamp duty holiday is tailing off by the end of June, there is a lot of uncertainty in the market in terms of what will happen. To be honest, I think I don't see a dramatic slowdown happening. There's been some kind of slowing down after March because everybody bought the property as effective body by now. So it's a little bit of a, I think we'd be more of a soft lending. So effectively what will happen, the stamp duty holiday will kind of finish, but you know, um, the market, there will not be a cliff edge. That's a little what we see right now. And people that want to buy a property, they can still buy it. But I think that the, how this is happening is completely changed 
to the point we made before. So more and more people that do go online, they do expect to find something online. And and I don't think we'll go completely ever back there. So right now people, you know, say, okay, fine, do everything online. I can do this as well. Um, so it's quite been quite an interesting journey, I must say. Yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting period, isn't it? The stamp duty holiday. Uh, and actually, I mean, anecdotally through people that I've just talk to in even in my social circle it's it's a things like the payment holidays that were available so many people took advantage of them and actually because of that so many people i mean absence of traveling into london everyday savings brilliant uh, and then you know holidays on mortgage payments a lot of people have been able to save in this period in a a much greater way than they've really ever been done before and i think that is a an interesting catalyst i know um in the show notes we've got a, a, a from yougov uh this was in may 2020 14 of people um actually took the payment holiday during the pandemic i was surprised that it was only 14 percent. i thought it would be much higher given the the applicability to it but 14 percent of the market when you think about the size of the market is really significant and if that was a three to five month window where people were were able to take a holiday from their mortgages to save up additional pieces that that spurs that level of change that actually people can kind of go into the market i mean what what do you think richard has this been a uh is this a almost a a, um a returning back to where the market was before or do you think this has been a, a sort of a catalyst for for bigger levels of change that we we sort of haven't seen in the past there's been multiple catalysts um, and they've kind of come at different times and they've driven different spikes at peaks and troughs. So obviously we had the first lockdown, which was the first catalyst, which was a, oh, sorry, a, a negative catalyst in terms of kind of um, slowing down the market, um, um, not catalyst. I think a catalyst can point. be negative as well yeah, as okay. positive, can't it? Good, yeah. all right. That, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I just had this instant thing in my head of catalyst is only a positive thing. Um, and then um, and then you have, uh, and then obviously you have the, the return to the market. You have, I think the mo- one of the biggest things early on that we saw was people like gardens, extra room for an office, Every, my, my, my company saying work from home is a thing forever. So I'm, I, I need an extra space, you know, and, and we've seen that right across the board. So I think that was the early stage catalyst. Um, then, um, clearly the stamp duty holiday had a massive impact. Um, and, um, uh, although ironically, um, so we also saw a huge reduction in products. So we saw basically anything over 85% lending. So if you had less than a 15% deposit, um, you weren't getting a mortgage in 2020. Like it was physically impossible. So we kind of saw this huge peak in, I would call more of a passive market, a market that was kind of umming and ahhing about selling. They might have done it this year, next year, maybe the year after that. But stamp duty holiday, need a bigger garden, need an extra bedroom. And they've, so they've kind of, they've come now. Um, start of this year, we've seen the return of 90% lending, 95% lending. Mojo's uh, already arranged about 50, 60 million pounds worth of mortgage lending in 90% plus bracket, um, which is good numbers for us. That's that's a kind of a return to where we expected to be beginning of 2020 with uh, with these products available. Um, so, so that's a really good return to the market. The only problem's been that there's no houses available now. So <laughs> um, I think it's something like 12, pe- there's 12 buyers or there's 12 viewers for every property available available in the UK at the moment, which is kind of unprecedented. Record highs in terms of houses being sold um, over list price. Um, since records began, I think the most houses being sold over list price. And there's a brilliant visual in the Times last, last week that kind of had the amount of properties 
um, where an offer had been agreed, like saturation by area. And it was like, if it was orange, it was like they'd agreed. And the whole country, apart from central London, was orange. So they kind of like no houses to buy right now. Um, so it's like a 15% reduction in people listing their properties and like a 15 to 20% increase in people's appetites to buy a house. This has all actually been quite bad for first-time buyers. First-time buyers didn't benefit from the stamp duty holiday. They already got a break up to uh, um, 250, pounds um, and then in London up to £500,000. So they already had like this, this payment holiday anyway. The, sorry, this uh, stamp duty holiday anyway. Um, but now they've got increased house prices. <laughs> they've got um, less houses available. And up until literally February, they literally had no products. So... It's been topsy-turvy, if I'm honest. There's been lots of toing and froing, which is why I don't think we're going to see a cliff edge because there's been different cohorts of customers booming over the last 12 months. And I, I we hope, especially at Mojo, um, for first-time buyers' sake, um, that there's kind of a bit of a resurgence now for first-time buyers and, and um, obviously those high loads-of-value products, but you know their ability to kind of find a, a house at a reasonable price. Yeah, I mean, that, that is difficult, isn't it? Uh, we, uh, again, sample size of one here. Uh, our property, the one I'm sat in right now, went on the market and we had three offers at asking price in like 12 hours. It was just insane. So so there's, there is such a pent-up demand in it. Um, but that's not good for, as you say, for first-time buyers because if you're a little bit more uh, cautious, you you know, you're, you want to see it a few times before you do it and get through the process, yeah, you're going to be caught out through people who are a little bit more experienced in that process, aren't you, in terms of, uh, you know, losing out potentially on the house that you uh, you really want to. So, uh, I mean, I, I guess on the, um, the mortgage side, I mean, have you seen, Richard, have you seen more first-time buyers? buyers in this period coming to you at that early stage then because yeah, sure. obviously as you talked about in terms of getting mortgage ready and getting an understanding of the market and the educational process because i guess you it would follow that you're seeing more people at that stage and all the way through the process as well yeah absolutely so we've seen significant significant increase in traffic full stop since the start of 2020 traffic volumes have over doubled but there has most of that doubling has come from early early stage early intent customers who want to better understand their options so we've naturally seen more what we deem a mortgage-ready customer just, just by, by proxy. But um, yeah, absolutely. We've seen a huge increase in that level of customers that are looking to learn, looking to understand. Uh, and that kind of backs up you know, you know, you know, where Mojo are at and the problems that we're trying to solve, which is to be able to give customers the confidence, you know, how do I negotiate on a house price? You know, how do I get ready? What do I need to do? Um, and to your, to your point, David, you know, they really, they really do need to be educated on that. And it is very personal. It's, it's things like, you know, we just did a, a piece in the press a couple of weeks ago about like how information on your bank statement can impact your likelihood to get accepted for a mortgage. You know, if you, if you call your brother in rude name when you're transferring money to him in the, you know, on your bank account, all sorts of crazy things. Gambling's a big one, huge one, um, that impacts the likelihood for somebody to get uh, accepted for a mortgage. So um, there is a very personal aspect to getting mortgage fit, to getting mortgage ready. And yeah, we've seen a huge influx in customers wanting to understand that better. And look, there's just been a lot of noise about mortgages and homes in general, I think. And that's driven a bit of it as well. But the, the big thing for first-time buyers, the big thing for that kind of, that that ability to get mortgage ready is is affordability in the deposit size. Uh, and we know that with the um, the mortgage guarantee scheme, and, and actually I want to, you know, a big call out to lenders. There's been a lot of lenders returning to 95% lending without that mortgage guarantee scheme as well, which has gone, which has gone kind of unpublicized in, in the press. But I think that's awesome, you know. And again, probably testament to the fact that we've not seen the huge 
influx in uh, unemployment that maybe we expected to see. And maybe there's elements of it still to come, but I think the way in which it's been kind of tranched, I think that's worked really, really well. And, you know, I think all lenders last year were just terrified about house prices. Francesca, you might be able to comment more, but like, that's certainly what we were hearing. Like, nobody knew what was going to happen. And clearly, we've all seen what's happened. They're all bloody expensive still. <laughs> um, so we've not really solved that problem. <laughs> no, again, by the way, uh, Richard, on that, that's quite interesting, because I think we we should do a big call out to lenders in general, because if we think about the effect that the mortgage holidays had, the forbearance, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, who know put, the input on all is massive, you know, and the good news, this was a real example, I think, for once, of collaboration across the ecosystem, because thanks to that, a lot of people didn't default. I mean, and in reality, the, majority, the other stat that is quite stunning is that the majority of mortgage holidays... So, went back to normal repayment quite quickly. It, it didn't result in defaults. And the industry set up was panicking because thinking, well, effectively, we'll have a lot of people defaulting, the house pricing will go down. And the fact that this has not happened, I think, is because all these measures were put in place to kind of amortize the impact, as you said, like and people could actually extend you know, their their income. So, so I think this was a great example of collaboration in the industry that we should see more. So there are very good things that have happened as well. Definitely. I mean, you touched there a little bit on um, uh, terms and obviously, I mean, there's been 100% mortgages there in the past, which has been crazy, but 90% uh, 90% or 95% are there. But I guess on the other side of that, we've seen the term extending as well, haven't we? I remember um, when I went for my first mortgage, I think the max out was around about 25 years, but we've seen various different lenders, Habito being one of them, with a 40-year term now. So you can borrow more and you can borrow for longer um, to really make the market uh, attractive for people to sort of get into the market. Obviously, there's there's a knock-on effect of the the amount that you pay back and da 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 da. But the getting that first step into it into the to the to the market is sort of easier than it ever was before. Uh, to Richard's point, though, if we could only have a few more houses, that would be great uh, to get people into the market. But maybe if we we move on then to about so where are we going? What's the what's the next step? You know, given as we say, given the housing market, you know, uh, Boris has not got a magic wand to create uh, another 10,000 houses in all of the different places, uh, despite actually in Norfolk, that does seem to be happening. I'll be honest with you. There's, there's a lot of new houses being built. There's still built. a big shortage, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> the thing. Actually, there will, there will still be a shortage. So supply and demand, the demand is definitely going to be outstripping uh, the, the the supply uh, going uh, forward. So, I mean, what, what do you think will happen in that space? Uh, do, you, do you think it will be more government intervention to, to kind of accelerate those programs to kind of alleviate some of that demand? Or um, Richard, maybe starting with you. Yeah, I think um, we talked about this a few years ago, actually, in the market when um, Help to Buy was on its way out. And um, everybody kind of said that um, shared ownership was was maybe the solution to the problem. I think potentially it's, it still is. I think there's there's an opportunity for uh, shared ownership schemes to, to to really work for certain types of people and uh, people that maybe couldn't afford to get onto the onto the property market in the first place. Um, we've obviously seen the extension to the help to buy scheme. We've seen the mortgage guarantee, um, which is a, uh, meaning that people can get on the property ladder with only a five percent deposit now, uh, which is which is great um, as long as kind of all the um, everybody understands and appreciates the risk of 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 such a such a low deposit. But yeah, I think I think the 
the big thing is going to be access. How can we, how can we address access? I, th- I think the biggest thing, Francesco, I'd be super interested to hear your thoughts on this. I think the biggest thing is affordability. It feels like it needs revolutionizing. And that feels like a strong word, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, and I don't think there's enough flexibility when it comes to considering an applicant for a mortgage and saying, where are you at? You know, a really nice example that customers say to us all the time, well, I'm paying 1500 quid a month for rent. And this mortgage is only 800 quid. Why can't I have it? And you're kind of like, well, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and, and that's the frustrating thing for, for, for me. And I think that there's, you know, lenders are talking about rate for risk, which is an interesting strategy. And that could mean that, you know, that could fill gaps. That, that could be a positive. It could be a negative as well. I'd be really keen to see how that plays out. But I think the, the most important thing is affordability. And so even if with a 95% mortgage guarantee scheme, we ran the numbers on our funnel, right? So we looked at customers that have been through our funnel over the last 12 months that may or may not have qualified for the 95% guarantee scheme. And on first glance, you'd be like, oh my God, like 60, 70% of our funnel now can get a mortgage. Amazing. But actually, when you look at the affordability, the reality is to be able to take advantage of that 95% scheme, that 5% mortgage scheme, you're going to have to earn a lot of money <laughs> depending on where you're looking to buy a house. And you know, with house prices being ridiculously high right now, I think there's a great stat in your, in your notes about there being um, people paying £70,000 more for a house. I mean, you know, it's that is a monumental amount of money. Um, and the reality is that given that most lenders simply have quite an arbitrary four or five times your income, and that's what you can borrow, um, I think that's where the massive gap is. And I think that there's a huge opportunity to, to really revol- revolutionize in kind of affordability assessments. Yeah, I think, what, what do you think on that, Francesca? Because I, I mean, I, I really agree. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I incredibly agree as well. I do think the elephant in the room in the UK is affordability. If you looked at statistics for the last 50 years, 30 years, the gap between house pricing and effective disposable income has widened dramatically. So the reality is, yes, we have seen all these people not coming to market, but there is a, a, a demographic problem, it's a macro problem, which is, being able to buy a house. And by the way, the demographics of the age, the average age at which people buy the first house is completely shifted dramatically towards, you know, older age. So um, that is, I think, the elephant in the room, I think, Richard. I think there are a couple of things there, right? So one is the government is incredibly behind and is trying to push a lot of things to solve that problem. The 95 mortgages are not going to solve it by itself because, as you said, it's all about earning capability. So long-term mortgages could be part of the problem. There is a is a technicality because effectively you don't run a stress test on the rate, so you can effectively afford more. And that's why I think there's a big also initiative, which is really positive from the government to make this happen. And um, that could be a a kind of a, a dial that moves things a lot. It's kind of only this concept of long-term mortgages coupled with the 95%. But, you know, it's a slow moving, moving and, and, you know, it depends on the price. I think the second point is, I think, Richard, for me, is is what you meant, right? So it's about what I call the cookie-cutter approach, okay? Why is this the situation? Why do you have people that come to you and say, come on, I, I pay all of this money every month. Why don't I'm not allowed? Because... The real innovation, in my view, in the mortgage market is not even tech. Tech is a means to an end. The real innovation is on product and underwriting. So we are still having products that are the same that we had 30 years ago. We are still running underwriting this industry. Not we, okay, not Molo, but in general. And that is important. No, no, but we are also, our hands are tied a bit. So 
like we were 30 years ago. 30 years ago, you have to sit down on the table and do, you know, not even Excel, like, you know, do a calculation of what's the income, what are the costs, and that's as sophisticated as you could get. Today, you have real-time access to thousands and thousands of transactions, thousands and thousands of utility bills and things like that. We ought to be doing something better. So I think it's about this innovation in the underwriting. So if you think about one thing, we don't have risk-based price in UK for mortgages. I mean, risk-based price is what you study school when you do lending, right? So it's as simple as that. So I do think there's a huge need for product and you know and basic underwriting innovation that completely could unlock these crazy things, right? Everybody should get a mortgage. It's priced correctly, and if you get access to the right data, and um, it's taken a while, but I think that will happen now. So one step at a time. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Like, I think you're being kind by saying 30 years ago. I think the uh, uh, the innovation happened quite a long time ago, didn't it? And it's uh, and it's sort of ossified around the the good form on it. But I completely agree with you in that space. It's such an interesting one when actually so much of what we've been talking about has been the purchase of a mortgage. But the the long tail of that is like owning the product and being you know living with that product for such a long period of time. Um, in many different products, what we've seen is almost your credit limit. Li- it opening up you know actually uh if somebody's looking at making changes to their house or alterations or improvements you know adding those things to the mortgage should be something that's relatively straightforward to do um so i do agree with you i think there will be a a more of a revolution when it comes to the the lending process around mortgages um but actually it's going to take the incumbents a while to kind of get their head around that one in terms of what that will mean and and the ongoing interaction that that will actually sort of create for them but it's a big opportunity if they can if they can see it you know um the other thing i'd sort of say is i mean how much do you guys see i mean embedded finance and end to end journeys you know this is something that you know really when you start looking for a house you know you don't start with a mortgage you start with like you know houses you and your other half can agree on sort of fits both of your criteria. you know so you know you're hitting right move and zoopla and all these different places i mean where does really where does the mortgage process begin you know and, and actually i mean richard you touched on this a little bit earlier on it's like people start with like i don't know what to do and help but w- at what point have they come to you do they come to you at that stage and are you thinking about well how do you go to them as much as getting them to come to you yeah no you're totally right and i think we um so we've been running a trial with zoopla for the last four months um where um in fact six months where we've been taking a lot of their early stage traffic and kind of understanding level of intent understanding kind of what stage they are in the buying cycle have they got deposits saved so um ironically yeah we're doing we're doing a ton of work on that at the moment and uh, kind of understanding you know, how would that whole, I mean, it's happened in car finance already. So, uh, auto trader and Zuto, and you can search for a car by monthly payment. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure how we can search for a house with a monthly mortgage payment just yet, but I think there's something in there, right? It's about show me houses I can afford, show me houses I'm eligible to buy and, and making sure you get that box ticked early on. We get lots of customers that come to us and this is no fault of their own. This comes back to this knowledge, transparency, confidence piece where they're like, okay, I found the house. I've kind of spoke to the estate agent. I'm going to put the offer in today. Can I get a mortgage? Or I don't know. Hang on. Let's check out first and see whether you can get a mortgage. And I think, look, that's, that's kind of not their fault. That's just the way that they, that's that how the buying process works. Like we've just said a million times. People think about the house first rather than the mortgage. Um, we kind of want to influence that a little bit, but we're not 
uh, arrogant enough to think that you want to come and sort your mortgage out first. So we kind of just need to be there when you need us. So, you know, embedded finance, you know, the likes of Klarna and, and all those other kind of businesses that are there when you need them, um, rightly, wrongly, with or without regulation. And that's a whole other argument. But I think that um, from our perspective, I think there's a huge opportunity for us to consider how we can support customers in getting mortgage ready and giving them the understanding and appreciation for what do their personal circumstances enable. Now, we need lots of things. I think, like I said, I think intent is there. I think customer desire, willingness, want is there. I think the ability to get these instant decisions from, back from lenders isn't quite there. I think there's a bit of work to do, but it feels like the thing that we are closest to. Things like affordability, uh, even even understanding somebody's affordability today, a lender doesn't, there's no lender in the UK that has an API that you can call to get a foot, an affordability result back from. So like, let's get that sorted out. Um, that shouldn't be a hard job. You've got intermediary portals that enable you to work out affordability. So let's just expose that endpoint. Let's get busy on that because we don't have to share any personal information with you to, to determine an individual's uh, affordability. So the stuff that I know lenders are on and the stuff that we need them to be on to kind of make some of those those journeys um, uh, a, a real thing. But yeah, I think I think that's the exciting next phase. And that's kind of how we would describe Mojo as an online mortgage broker, right? We're, we're kind of more of a mortgage platform um, and we want to fit in wherever and whenever. So reasonably brand agnostic. We've not gone for a big brand build. We've gone to partner with uh, different brands. So we've uh, done some work with Uswitch, Money.co.uk, Go Compare, uh, Zoopla, Snoop recently, another up and coming startup, really cool business. Like, and it's all about just interacting with those customers where they are to, to give them the confidence and the knowledge to make kind of informed decisions uh, about what to do next. Um, and we want to we power as many of those types of experiences as we possibly can, knowing that at the end of it, fundamentally, we're going to be here to help them sort the mortgage out as well. Um, and, um, and we think that's the right place to start. And um, we think that's, we think that's the big gap in, in, in the mortgage intermediary market at the moment, that idea of being willing to go out and win a customer twice. Yeah. Well, I can, I, I feel on behalf of everybody who buys mortgages in the UK, uh, eternally grateful to both of you, uh, whether it's Molo, Mojo or Habito with, with Dan, uh, you guys are moving the industry forward. Um, it's a weird little island that we've got in the UK, isn't it? Or a collection of islands. Like we do love to own property, don't we? Uh, I know there'll be a lot of US listeners or European listeners listening to this that, that goes, they're still trying to buy property. Like, you know, what, what's wrong with the rental market? Um, but this is definitely an industry that's really, you know, prime for change and you guys are absolutely at the forefront of doing it so on that note we're going to have to wrap up the show we definitely won't leave it another two years to revisit this one um but uh, maybe we should have done this before i bought a property then i could have got some tips but never mind uh all right that wraps up this uh show for today thank you so much for everybody for joining us uh where can people learn a little bit more uh francesca starting with you yeah so i'm francesca calesi on linkedin um or on molofinance.com very good uh richard how about you yeah, exactly the same. Richard Hayes um, on, on LinkedIn. Feel free to drop me a message if you've got any questions, uh, want to learn a little bit more or uh, jump on to mojomortgages.com. 
Very, very good. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like what you heard, then subscribe to this podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps us make the show better. If you got any feedback or you want to join in the conversation, then head over to, I don't know, pretty much every social media that channel that you fancy. Search for 11FS, search for Fintech Insider. We're all over them at this stage. If you're old-fashioned and you want to drop us an email, then it's podcast at 11FS.com. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.